to eat and something to read a podcast about food and reading and reading about food by me sophie hansen i'm a food writer from orange new south wales and my friend right here and me jermaine a psychotherapist and bibliotherapist from sydney and actually today we're coming to you from sydney we've got sophie in my study at the front of the house having a cup of tea and a piece of banana cake yeah it's so nice to actually be in the same room together we are recording something a bit different today we're gonna do a few mini-sodes little episodes uh where we pick a theme and then we chat about some books we love where there are particular scenes that kind of gel with that theme or characters or just books that we love to chat about so today our very first mini-sode the theme is breakfast we thought we'd start at the beginning <laughs> and it is 100% my favorite meal of the day you know that scrape of butter on toast the sharpness of good marmalade and a hot bit of coffee and I love reading breakfast scenes in books I think there's something exciting and full of possibilities about that and it's probably because breakfast by its very nature is a beginning isn't it it's such a great way I imagine for a writer to set the scene and lay out some hopes and expectations and explain some sort of character um, or the relationship between certain characters uh, yeah so I feel like breakfast is a good place to start with our episodes. Yeah, I until you had come up with this idea, you know, I had never really thought about breakfast in books. But again, this is I guess I had never really thought that much about food in in novels until you and I started doing this together and you started pointing them out. And I think breakfast is the beginning, isn't it? And it says something about setting up the day and just Today, there was a newsletter from Jill Dupre, you know, the recipe writer, and she does a great newsletter on food and cooking. And she also, I think she's got a little column in the food guide in the Herald Mm. on a Tuesday, sort of kitchen hacks and things. But anyway, her column today or her newsletter today was all about being on holiday and the Euro breakfast and starting the day with that kind of uh, with the yeah European breakfast and she was saying how it was a reminder about how you could be a different person depending on the breakfast you had and I thought that's so true she said in Europe breakfast is more of an attitude you have this buffet of well I think she was having smoked salmon and boiled eggs or um, cheese and ham and how this can kind of change who you think you are by the different choices you have at breakfast time. She wrote that changing up your breakfast is a way of challenging assumptions about what we do and eat, the habits we have grown into, and the tastes we have developed are all we need. We have to shake it up every now and then or things get too tightly wound, too clearly defined, and too this is who I am. So, yeah, so I I found that really interesting thinking Mm. about how breakfast kind of can in some ways much more so than lunch or dinner you can get quite in a rut with definitely and I love that it it does put you in a frame of mind I Mm. think when I I spent a few years in Italy in my 20s and when I first arrived I was so I couldn't believe the breakfast there which was basically like a milky coffee and a pastry or for the kids quick you know that chocolate powder quick and milk and like biscuits that they'd dunk in Mm. and um I'd go to the bar in the village where we lived and throw back a coffee and have my pastry and I'd feel so chic and growing up and I saunter off to work. And it was such a mind, a state of mind, I guess. Mm. And, and you know, now I'm 
all about my granola and whatever but yeah it is a way to set yourself up I suppose in mm. lots of ways not just nutritionally <laughs> yes yeah it, and I think that's sort of, then thinking about the books I've chosen thinking of sort of have something to say about breakfast I realize it isn't about the food so much as the state of mind mm. or or what else it gives away yeah. your choices give away of your character or something yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And it's been really fun actually thinking about, Jermaine said we could only do two books each. (laughs) Otherwise it would not be a mini-sode, it would be a long-sode. My first one, I'll go first, Mm. is Helen Garner's Monkey Grip for a few reasons. I mean, it is just an amazing book and she, as we all know, is an extraordinary writer. And But I only just came to her a bit later in life. In fact, at our live recording, we were chatting about how I'd never read a Helen Garner book and now... I started with Monkey Grip. Right. And um, I'm going through her notes now. But the very beginning of Monkey Grip, she sets a scene and it involves breakfast and I'll read this paragraph. She writes, In the old brown house on the corner, a mile from the middle of the city, we ate bacon for breakfast every morning of our lives. There were never enough chairs for us all to sit up at the meal table. One or two of us always sat on the floor or on the kitchen step, plate on knee. It never occurred to us to teach the children to eat with a knife and fork. It was hunger and all sheer function. The noise and the clashing of plates and people chewing with their mouths open and talking and laughing. Oh, I was happy then. At night, our backyard smelt like the country. I mean, what an amazing way to start a book. Like, talk about setting the scene. There's drama. She was happy and now she's not. Why? Mm. You know exactly where they are. It's chaos and bacon sandwiches. And you can hear them eating. You can. You you can. I just, oh, she, yeah, the way she crafts sentences just blows me away. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was just such a great way to begin a book because you really are in, like, I'm in from the very get-go. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a great. And it was literally the beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the opening. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, that's really funny actually. That you're thinking about that breakfast. Just you're so in the breakfast and eating every morsel of it. Whereas my first choice is a breakfast that actually doesn't happen. Oh, (laughs) Um, well, it's actually um, Maggie O'Farrell's. You love a bit of Maggie. I think I got you reading Maggie the first time I I met or something. Yeah, that's right. Which is her memoir Mm. rather than her fiction. But her very, very first book, After You'd Gone, which I think was, it was written, well, it must have been like 2000, 2001. It was um, 2000. And I read it in 2000. When you first said, let's do a breakfast one, I thought, oh, I remember that romantic breakfast scene in After You'd Gone. I have to do that. It stayed with me that long. And I went back and I actually ended up, re- I don't often reread books. And I did actually end up rereading this. Oh. I have reread this over the years, but I even re- I reread it just the other week. And I was actually amazed at how much I still felt for the characters and still got very into the story. Oh, have you read any of her fiction yet? Yeah, I've read, um, I've just, actually I've read The Marriage Portrait. Oh, okay. So now she's historical. Hamnet and, um, oh, and I Am, I Am, I Am. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. I, it's interesting her, I mean, I'm not a massive historical fiction fan. I loved Hamnet though mm-hmm. and I enjoyed The Marriage Portrait. But I just think her contemporary characters, mm-hmm. or maybe it's more about me and getting into a character who kind of lives in my life experience, I'm yep. not sure, as in my lifetime, it's very different. And for her first book, I was amazed at how how rounded and how deep the characters were. But anyway, with the yes, breakfast scene. The <laughs> so 
It's the love story between Alice and John. Well, it's bigger than that, actually. It's a big sort of multi-generational family story. But the key love story in it is between Alice and John and they're in their 20s when they meet. And, and you know, very early on it's a sorted love story. John's died and Alice is in a coma oh. and she's kind of thinking back over her life story. In the um, coma? Yeah. Oh. But it's not magical thinking either. I've made it sound like it's a bit mystical now. It's a, it's a book that just goes back and forwards in time all the time. You don't really know what Alice is thinking while she's in a coma. But that's the pre- but you know up front the present day is that okay. yeah things have gone really bad. But back in when they meet, they go off to this country hotel. I love the idea of those country hotel breakfasts in in England. Let me get to the page where. They're meant to be at breakfast. They're not. And it starts, table seven in the window is still empty and it's almost the end of breakfast time. Who's missing? Molly casts her eyes swiftly around the dining room. The young couple from London, of course. The rest, older and more used to staying in hotels, have come down on time and are solemnly eating their fruit salad and maple syrup pancakes, barely talking. (laughs) I thought... Isn't that funny that actually the absence has yeah. stayed with me a lot more than the than the actual eating of the the breakfast? But I think I love that idea of the waitress as kind of observing, you know, when mm. and I know when I stay in a hotel or a smaller kind of guest house where you go to breakfast and you see the people that were dinner the night before and you know, that people watching. I think that's what really grabbed me yeah. about this. I love that. I worked in a small guest house. In, on the Isle of Mull in my ah. early, early 20s. Anyway, and it was smaller. I think we had like six rooms and I had a very proper Scottish boss. And if a couple didn't come down in time for breakfast, like, don't, don't ask questions, take a tray, leave it at the door, <laughs> knock once. <laughs> knock once. <laughs> so my friend and I who worked there, we were always giggling about who wouldn't come down for breakfast. What were they getting up to? We'd take yeah. a tray, knock once, walk away. So anyway. <laughs> and would you try and guess from that before who might not make it to breakfast? Sometimes. Or? It was always pretty obvious. But, yeah, um, yeah it was good fun. It was, yeah. yeah upstairs, downstairs. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my second book is which one that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that I just adore, Barbara Trapedo's Brother of the More Famous Jack, which actually is getting a bit of airtime at the moment because mm. it's just – having its 30th anniversary oh wow 30 years old it was her first book actually and it's just been uh, reprinted it's getting I think a whole new slew of readers and fans and so it starts this young young girl Catherine young woman Catherine comes with the man she's seeing to stay with a a family in the country and they turn out to be uh, the, the dad turns out to be a professor of hers from university and anyway his wife Jane is just this divinely shambolic, gorgeous, heavily pregnant character. And breakfast, the, the first morning that she's there, it's, you know, this chaos of toast and coffee and marmalade and fights about who has the paper and they're hungover and there's sick children and Jacob, the professor, is grumbling about his socks never mat- matching and, and Catherine, who's sort of come from a very... Um, you know, red brick house in the outskirts of London, a single mum, only child, very quiet, is just entranced by this country chaos and she thinks it's just quite glamorous and wonderful. Mm. And and then Jane goes on to, um, she produces this this incredible lunch, which is two hours late and she makes no apology, it's a triumph. And she writes, Jane made us some some aromatic garlicky iced soup for lunch served with hot garlic bread and followed by pork loin simmered in milk. There's also an abundance of her homegrown vegetables. 
you know, and then later they have this sort of long afternoon of eating and drinking and being academic and she says that they later on Jane brings them all tea and toast to the group lounging on the grass at 6 p.m. and anyway I just yeah. the whole thing is just so was to me when I first read it in my early 20s just completely enchanting and I dreamt of being someone like Jane one day and I'm certainly not able to effortlessly produce because she also goes on to give birth like the next night she's heavily pregnant she's got five other kids and it's chaos and I think it helps when you have a huge old rambling house and possibly yeah. a helper somewhere um, <laughs> but I just was compl- I was with Catherine I was completely in love with Jane mm. mostly the mum she was just a wonderfully drawn out character and and continues to be throughout the book which goes through some tragedies and anyway I just absolutely loved it but that morning mm. I can imagine walking in feeling quite uncertain in this family and the boy her so- older sons are quite good looking she's been in love with them and it's just wonderfully shambolic and the smell of toast and coffee and fights and everything just... well the, and you know you said you read it in your early 20s yeah Does that mean you read it when you were living away from home like in... um no I was actually at uni when I read this book so yeah living but in you, college yeah. and but just that scenario that English shambolic English country house you know I don't know it really appealed to mm. me um and and like all oh, so many books so many wonderful scenes happen around the table and you really can get yeah. such fascinating glimpses into these relationships. So Jacob is Jane's husband who's the professor and he grumbles a lot about the fact that she's oh, she's you know she's always pregnant and she's never ironing his shirts and he's a professor and where are my notes and and she just sort of ruffles his hair and just says oh darling you're being silly and he just adores her so much and all of this stuff playing out you can just yeah. see so many dynamics at the breakfast table so effortlessly laid out yeah. by the writer, and I just love that. Do you yeah. know um, that's actually uh, Maggie O'Farrell's favourite book as well? Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing on a podcast interview with her about. Have you read it? I have actually yeah. a few like years it? ago. I did like it. Yeah. yeah, I think I read it after hearing it was Maggie's favourite book. Ah. I, I know. I don't remember it that well, except I do remember thinking there are a lot of scenes around tables. Yeah, when I think back. Yeah, yeah. and well, actually, th- this scene is what made me want to do breakfast as a theme because uh, it just it, it really stayed with you. Stayed so, with yeah. me. I can just imagine that big scrubbed table, and yeah, I wonder if that is like to do with the time of life you read it too. That Possibly. being a uni student, not around a big raucous, chaotic yeah. family table. Possibly, and and I think also trying to figure out who I wanted to be yes. in the life I wanted to lead, and it was a hundred percent Jane's character because yeah. I just thought she was so fabulously effortlessly cool yeah I think 100% and then we talk about that all the time Mm. the idea of the shape a book has left Mm. me and I I was rereading passages in fact I've lent it to someone and I can't remember who my actual copy um so if anyone's listening and you've got my copy please go have it back (laughs) but I had to download it um on my phone just to get those passages up Mm. because I couldn't find it and then I ended up staying up very late last night I just couldn't stop reading it I'm gonna Um, gonna reread it now too there's parts of it that are just a complete punch in the stomach emotionally, mm. like some horrible things happen to our character. But that family is one of my favourite families in literature. I just adore them, all of the chaos of it. And that relationship between Jacob and Jane, I just thought was pretty cool. Right. And I think... Um, Not perfect, but... I think Meg Mason loved that book too on that Just Booked oh. podcast. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yes, Sorrow and Bliss author. Yeah. I think it has got quite a lot of fans. I mean, it's not a big book. And it was her first book, actually. Mm. Um, but she was actually, I was listening to this podcast on the way down to talk to you and she was saying how 
she wrote it when she was living in Oxford and her husband was a university professor. Ah. And one of the mums from playgroup, from her playgroup, who was also an academic, was asking her what she's doing and is she keeping her mind active while she's, you know, surrounded by young children. She said, oh, I'm writing this book. And she said, well, show it to me. And so she said she eventually wrote it serialised for her friend, never thinking much oh, was going to happen, right. but her friend kept encouraging her, come on, I want to know what happened next. Send me another chapter, send me another chapter. Yeah. So she just would go home and write another chapter and finally she had a book and it became this beloved yeah anthem for so many young well, women of all ages, I think. Yeah, yeah. and she kept writing too. Didn't and she, she did, so she, I think seven books now right. in total, but she's older now. I'd say I'm going to guess she's probably in her 70s or 80s, but she said I was just so surprised when that book hit a nerve because it, it was just such a story that was in me but I didn't think it would resonate with everybody yeah. else. Yeah, and what an amazing friend to I know. without that I she know. might never have written. I know, isn't that mm. wonderful? And she said that her friend, it started because her friend said, oh, I'm writing a short story, I'll send it to you to have a look at. And Barbara read it and said, oh, I could write much better dialogue than that. So I'm going to get back to mine. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, great. It's good. So what's oh, your next one? Okay, um, my, next next one book? my next one's a short story. Helen Simpson, who I've spoken about oh, on this have, podcast yeah. before, I mean, she wrote a short story uh, which was, I've always told you about the one that's the lemon cake recipe, which is like a love letter to a child, which is actually in this collection, Cockfosters. And it's all the stories are about women middle age onwards. So mm-hmm. she's sort of, she's written the collections of short stories all focusing on women at different ages. So Constitutional was sort of more the one of women in their 30s, sort of setting up families, having babies and things. And Cockfosters is, yeah, is more post that time and in this short story again both my stories are about breakfast on in hotels or away <laughs> and then thinking about Jill's Jill Duplay's comment about you become a different person if you change your breakfast I actually wonder if that's why I found so memorable about these breakfasts away rather than breakfast at home anyway so this short story is called Berlin and it's about this middle-aged couple who are sort of empty nesters and not terribly happily married at the moment. His um, mother has died. They've gone on an opera tour of Germany. They both hate opera. (laughs) But Adam, the husband's parents used to do this opera tour every year and his parents now both died. So his wife decides that they should just go and do it anyway in sort of memory of, of his parents and, and so the, the story's written from the wife's perspective where she's not, um, well, she's sort of trying to work out whether she wants to stay married or what the next chapter is and whether or not she wants it to be with him. There's a scene at breakfast time in the hotel and obviously on this opera tour it's filled with very elderly people or people in his parents' age. So they already feel quite out of place being uh, 20 years younger. Um, and so there's this breakfast in the hotel with everyone else. Breakfast had been full of trombone-like nose-blowing from the older men, along with the old percussive sneeze. When Adam had himself had helped himself to a bowl full of what looked like good honest muesli from the buffet table, the depth of his chagrin on finding the dark bits for chocolate rather than raisins had been worryingly disproportionate. Was this her future, Tracy had wondered aloud back in their room, hair-trigger breakfast with an angry old man? If so, she'd be bailing out sooner rather than later. <laughs> and I thought, 
There's something also very intimate about breakfast, isn't there? In yes. the you know the idea of these old men having to sneeze and blow their noses, or sort of these um, morning <laughs> ablutions that seem to happen more than than at dinner time, or that there's some there's some mask that's taken away when you go for breakfast in a hotel when you yeah. just come down from your room and you you know yeah. So yes, I guess that that stayed with me a bit too. I love I that. I, and I'm going to have to seek out that because that's the second um, mm. short story of hers that you mentioned that sounds wonderful. So I have to have a look at that. So I had two other ones to sneak in, but I won't go on about them. <laughs> Just a note, of course, Little Women, that breakfast yes. scene with the March sisters are a little bit guilted by their mom into giving their breakfast away to the Hummels. And the other breakfast scenes, it's Pride and Prejudice. And I think it's probably mm. more I'm thinking of the films as well because they were so well acted. Both those Little yeah. Women and Prejudice, those breakfast scenes, where you know there's all this whinging and moaning and they're debriefing from the ball the night before yeah. and they're waiting for the post to come in and I just love those breakfast scenes in Pride of Prejudice. Well, I think yes, like as you say, the gossiping or the um, debriefing on the yeah. previous night or whatever, and it reminded me actually in A Gentleman in Moscow, there's that great scene where he's in a cafe before he gets put under house arrest. He's remembering his usual routine. Mm. And is going to a cafe for breakfast and listening to the women at the table nearby all talking about their night before and then yeah. you know the gossiping of what to come and again it's that intimacy isn't it that yeah, yeah. maybe you haven't got your kind of game face yes. on for the world yeah. yet you're, you're sort of your guard is down a little bit still yeah at breakfast yeah okay great well um we've come in under oh even under 20 minutes well done us <laughs> Proper mini zone. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you have any um, brecky scenes that you love, we would love to hear about them. Please share them on our Instagram or on our Substack. Thank you so much to our subscribers, as always, because yes. we really appreciate you and you help us stay on the air. And <laughs> um, we'll be back with a proper episode next time. Yes. Weeks. We'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Sometimes I get to thinking I ought to take up drinking Just to drown out all these memories Maybe I could down a whiskey bottle And head out on the highway Just to see if it'll bring some peace But I ain't a drinking girl I'm just a small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world and i ain't a whiskey girl i'm just a small town woman trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world Just a 